It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. A lot of the news of the past now week have been uh, what has played out in Texas, a call it the once-in-a-lifetime storm uh, that has affected many. Uh, there have been tragedies, unfortunately, as often happens. When tragedy happens and nature is the cause, it often brings up the question, why was it a tragedy to this extent? Was it possible to prevent? A lot of times it's not. That's the nature of nature. But also policies that exist, policies put in place, will oftentimes show their weak spots when tragedy occurs. Nature will eventually be nature, and weak spots, whether intentional or unintentional, will develop. They will be shown. And that's what we're seeing happen in Texas when it comes to what has played out with the cost of electricity, a horrific storm, and a statewide effect on some 25 million Americans. Even broader than that, but we'll focus on Texas with my next guest, Jason Isaac, a former state representative who joins me now, former Republican member of the State House of Representatives, representing District 45. Uh, Jason, great to have you on the show. Hey, thanks. It's great to be on. Now, I know we have Biden's energy policies on the line, but this all ties together. And I want to focus in uh, on your state, formerly my state, and issues that are now affecting, you know, ordinary everyday folks in the sense that, you know, when your bill goes from maybe less than $100 to 16000 that gets taken out of your, your bank account, uh, you know, let's play Jason, the former representative, what do you say to that constituent or that Texan? Well, you feel their frustration, certainly, and, and they're not just paying it in their bills. They're paying it in the form of subsidies and higher property taxes or higher income taxes. Uh, there's just so many ways that these unreliable energy generators are getting into our pockets. Uh, it's unbelievable. And, and the amount of unreliable generation in Texas has increased almost 200 percent over the last eight, nine years and unfortunately, our reliable generation has gone down. Uh, and it's just, yeah, we're paying out of multiple pockets. They're getting to us several different ways, and we're getting unreliable uh, electricity and energy in exchange for us paying more money. Right, but now let's go a little bit further with this, because I, I want to focus on, on, let's see, that gentleman, that story exists. It is real. That money has been taken out in part because uh, – it's uh, the Energy Resources Committee of Texas has a different structure than other states. Look, there's no doubt about Texas's energy independence, the generation of energy. It's the largest generator. Uh, the independence has been good. It has worked well up till now. And that's why I bring up the weak, the weak points of a policy or a structure as it exists. And you were on the Energy Resources Committee when you served in the state house. That guy that now loses everything to a 10,000% spike needs to be addressed. From some electric providers, they're saying, well, 
a kind of a too bad approach uh, because we don't have a we have indemnification. We're protected and we're not regulated in that sense. So put aside for the moment bad energy policy from Biden, bad and expensive energy generation from other sources. But to that Texan, that's not what matters right now. This man is out $16,000. Texans are getting ridiculous bills and charges, businesses and individuals. What needs to be done about this? Yeah, there definitely needs to be some oversight, more oversight of ERCOT. And whether or not they have indemnification is questionable because they're a 501c4 nonprofit organization managed with a responsibility to oversee our grid. Uh, They did an incredibly poor job of that over the last week, really starting with Valentine's night on the 14th, just completely dropped the ball, made matters worse by multiple decisions. Uh, But the Public Utility Commission, they're protected because they're an agency over the state of Texas. Uh, and they have some regulatory oversight. If I had to guess, this the ERCOT, the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, will move uh, under the Public Utility Commission uh, to get that protection, but also to have more oversight from elected officials uh, and officials appointed by the governor of the state of Texas to make sure this doesn't happen again. At the Texas Public Policy Foundation, where I work now, we knew this was coming. We've been writing about it for years and warning about the market-distorting policies that are causing this uh, in the form of subsidies. I wrote an op-ed July that warning that if it wasn't for the pandemic, we would have experienced this last August. And we even got really close with the pandemic and the forced government shutdowns. Uh, But to have this happen in February uh, is devastating. And there are people that have lost, they're going to lose $16,000 on their electric bills. But there's over 40 people that have died and their family members lost people because of bad decisions made by man uh, at the helm of the controls of our grid Sunday night. And and again, I'm going to keep that focus there. Should, I mean, should this guy get a $16,000 bill? Should he not get his money back? Should he pay for other people's failure at the expense of his essentially life savings? No, he he definitely shouldn't pay for other people's failures. And it, but it's interesting because he basically did a variable rate mortgage, and the, and the rates went up astronomically uh, over the course of a couple of days. And, and some of these providers were telling their customers, "You need to go find new providers." And so we had this competitive market, and some people uh, took the risk to go with this variable rate, if you will, um, and then they're on the losing end of it now. But regardless, it shouldn't be $16,000 because someone made some really poor decisions uh, that cost a natural gas supply to decrease to less than 25% of normal, which is going to spike rates of electricity. They cause power plants to trip offline, which is going to drop supply, which is going to spike cost of electricity. So no, these people shouldn't be on the hook. Look, now, they probably should have higher than normal bills, uh, but not $16,000, no way. Yeah, yeah look, I, 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 by the way, I, I understand and I agree with the point of variable rate. You take the risk again, but there's a reasonable limit to this. And, you know, look, I'm not a government overlord guy. I don't want government involved in everything. But there's a role for government when policy or private entities, as you bring up correctly, a nonprofit organization structured with a board 
that that governs this board. And, you know, questions should be asked of the chair, Sally Talberg, or the vice chair, Peter Crampton, or board members uh, of which I have the entire list here. They come from different backgrounds and they're missing in the conversation. I mean, I would think and I certainly hope that they're in the governor's office right now having a conversation about what you're going to do for the people of Texas that you've literally just gone beyond what I would consider a reasonable variable rate adjustment. Yeah, and some of these people don't have skin in the game. You mentioned a couple of board members that don't even live in the state of Texas. It's very incestuous how this board is picked, which when I was in the legislature, I fought against other electric utilities that had this very incestuous way of picking their board members. Uh, And it should be from the members they serve, not from themselves. And if you're a utility or a generator, then you get to have people on the board and the board appoints who's going to lead. And you have someone that's basically a huge proponent of the Green New Deal and a wind advocate that's leading the board for the Electric Reliability Council of Texas that lives in Michigan. And this is just unacceptable. I'm glad it's come to light. I wish it had come to light weeks ago. Uh, and actually last year when we were warning about it happen, um, and now people are paying attention. It's unfortunately too late for some people who lost their lives uh, due to hypothermia, the families that are sick and treating people that are sick now because of hypothermia-related illnesses. <clears throat> but these costs, and we've got to get this management under control. We as Texans uh, have got to demand this of our elected officials. And I'm, I'm actually meeting with groups today and will continue to do that to, to look at recommendations and, and policy ideas uh, that better protect Texans. My guest, Jason Isaac, former member of the Texas House of Representatives, as he just mentioned, uh, with the Texas Public Policy Foundation. You know, I took a look, Jason, at the Energy Resources Committee in the House of Representatives. And right there it lists their primary functions, including uh identifying and developing all and using alternative energy sources that's one but also electric electric utility regulation as it relates to energy production and consumption shouldn't this committee be in an emergency meeting now or something shouldn't they be active look maybe they're stuck they're in the path of the storm as it is it were or whatever the case is but virtually or otherwise shouldn't they be a more active member of this because i've looked for and i could be wrong i have not found a emergency meeting of any substance out of the energy resources committee they are, and I've been impressed with the leadership from the, the Speaker of the House and the Lieutenant Governor and, and the Governor. Uh, they are calling those committees to meet. The Energy Resources and State Affairs Committees will have a joint hearing on Thursday. Uh, I know members are traveling in right now as we're speaking, hopefully listening uh, to your show uh, as they're making their way towards the Capitol in Austin to, to have these hearings. But uh, many of those members that are on those committees have been in contact with me, even through the freeze. Uh, when things were down, people didn't have electricity, water, Internet, uh, people reaching out to me and to other uh, policy leaders to find out what went wrong and what can they do to repl- to fix it. Yeah, they, there has to be action. And if nothing else, they need to. And I'll give you know credit to the governor and then uh, the leadership that has said we are taking on as many of these problems as fast as we can, because if they don't sow public confidence right now, then you see where this goes when you get to the uh, 
the leftist approach when it comes to Texas and energy. We're already seeing that in the the optics, the media, and the attacks on Texas, and that will be used to to push an even you know bigger green energy or you know the environmental agenda. At least that's what they call it, which is bad for the environment financially and. Uh, the actual environment in Texas. It's actually bad for humans, and I, that's why I praise the governor for listing these items as emergency items, uh, because now the legislature can act constitutionally before March 12th. The way our Constitution is set up is there you can't pass bills before March 12th, <clears throat> the first 60 days of the legislative session, unless it's an emergency item from the governor. So applaud him for his leadership in declaring some of these items, including reforming the Electric Reliability Council of Texas. Uh, and so those those bills could be had in hearings filed, passed before March 12th and quickly sent to the governor's desk, which I anticipate will happen before the end of the legislative session. I don't know if it'll happen by March 12th, but it's going to happen pretty quick uh, where we get some good reforms. And so I, I just hope that they look at the reliability as a factor. Our reliable generation has decreased while our population has increased. Our GDP has increased. Uh, and that just can't be the way here in the energy state of Texas. We need reliable thermal generation from natural gas, clean coal, and nuclear. My guest, Jason Isaac, again, a former Republican member of the Texas House, uh, District 45, and a director of Life Powered at lifepowered.org. Now, you're an energy expert, another reason we wanted to have this conversation. So let's go to the federal level. You know, we've now zeroed in on Texas, and uh, we'll see what happens Thursday in that hearing you just mentioned or that meeting. Uh, But let's go to national energy policy. We've seen the, I call it the optic executive order with a dangerous effect on what happened with the Keystone Pipeline. You and I know that pipelines by the thousands crisscross this country carrying various various, uh, products. But we see a defined agenda. Windmills freeze in the winter. Solar batteries cannot retain the charge. They discharge often and bleed off. And, you know, for me, I like the technology to be proven to be obviously under energy policy, redistributable, and it has to be affordable to counter what we've seen just happen in Texas. Affordable energy matters to everyone, to business, to the poor, the rich. It doesn't matter. It's a part of our eco-economic system. So what needs to be done to counter the Biden approach or the Biden-Harris approach slash AOC approach, if you want to call it that? Well, it really needs to be the stopping of the demonization of fossil fuels. As we've proven here in Texas, fossil fuels save lives, especially over the last week. They lift millions of people out of poverty. There's there's less than a, just right under a billion people in the world that have no access to affordable, reliable electricity. Uh, and those people need to get access to our energy. And so if we produce that energy, we produce it better and more efficiently and cleaner than anywhere else in the world. We should be exporting that energy around the world to eliminate poverty. That will clean up the global environment. It'd be nice if our trading partners met our air quality standards because we're world leaders on that front. We're number one when it comes to access to clean and safe drinking water. But the demonization, wrongfully so, of fossil fuels and pipelines has just made matters worse. People in the Northeast are literally importing liquefied natural gas from Russia. 
And, th- and that's because you've got New York politicians that oppose pipelines cutting through their state. The federal government should step in, and that's if they're going across state lines, they should be allowed to build those pipelines. We should be getting gas from Pennsylvania to New York to Massachusetts to the rest of New England and taking care of those states with American-produced natural gas, again, produced cleaner than anywhere else in the world. Uh, instead, they've got to import it from Trinidad and Tobago and Russia. Just just absolutely mind-boggling to me. I, I don't know who's getting paid on that, that deal, uh, but the ones that are ultimately paying are the ratepayers, and they're paying with higher costs, costs and, and poor environmental quality from around the world. Yeah, you know, look, I, I'm a sympathetic guy, but there are times when I'm politically unsympathetic. And, you know, I lived in Massachusetts as well, and I've seen what happens when liberal policies go wild, combined with the fact that when President Trump tried to do something about the Jones Act, they would not follow through in Washington, D.C. So as a result, you're right. They're getting their gas from Russia because American ships, you know, let's put the pipeline issue aside for a moment. Maybe John Kerry doesn't want a windmill in his backyard somewhere on Nantucket or wherever. But the fact is we can't even have American ships carrying (laughs) what we need to an American state. I mean, yeah, there's there's an LNG export terminal in Maryland. From and just look at a map. I, I posted this on my LinkedIn profile. There was a ship coming from Trinidad and Tobago carrying LNG from who knows where. It's just a transport terminal. But why not take a ship from Maryland to Massachusetts? It's much closer. You're going to have fewer uh, emissions coming from a ship that's doing that. But, of course, the pipelines would be better. That's the safest, most efficient and effective way to transport goods to market is through pipelines. Uh, But you can't get those built. And you're right. The Jones Act completely hampers that. It's hampering the growth of Puerto Rico. Uh, because they can't get goods, they can't get liquefied natural gas or propane from the United States. They have to get it from Trinidad and Tobago, pay much higher costs. Uh, and it's all because the Merchant Marine Act of 1920, so something that's over 100 years old, is hurting the growth of Puerto Rico that's just been devastated by multiple storms. They don't have the resiliency because they don't have access to affordable, reliable energy in, in America. Just just mind-blowing to me, these policies coming out of D.C. that they think they know everything that's, that's better for us and how to live our lives. Yeah, well, agendas override uh, logic, common sense, and oftentimes good public policy. Uh, Jason, we will put a wrap on this right now. You said there's a meeting, I believe, a committee hearing on Thursday of sort or a meeting of sorts of uh, the Energy Resources Committee. Uh, can we put you on uh, standby? I'd like to see what happens in that committee. Yeah, I'd love to come in because both the Senate committee has a committee. Their Business and Commerce Committee is meeting on Thursday, and it's tentatively scheduled to carry over through Friday. And then the House Energy and State Affairs Committees will be meeting all day Thursday. So keep me on standby. I'd love to fill you in on what the outcome of those is. Yeah, important. You're talking to these folks, and Texans are listening, and they they deserve answers. They deserve answers. They deserve action. They don't deserve to have their bank accounts drained, period, end of story. That's it. All right, we'll uh, keep an eye on things, and I, I really appreciate it, Jason. Thank you. It's great to be on the David Webb Show. Have me back. Thanks. All right, I will. We're going to watch this very closely for our Texas audience, for the nation, as a matter of fact. Public policy and its weak points on display right here. 866-95-PATRIOT-957-2874.
You can join me live on the David Webb Show Monday to Friday, 9 to noon east on Sirius XM Patriot 125.